Father, I would ask that for all those who are disciples, that you would strengthen them in their innermost being, that you would have them recall the verses for strength, and also verses like Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, that say the things that we suffer, the things that we endure, are not only for our sake to receive comfort from you, but to deliver comfort to others in their affliction, those who suffer the same things. So, Father, however you want to use us in the afflictions that we have already encountered and the ones that are in the future, may you use us to bring comfort to others. And may you wake us up, so to speak, Lord, on the inside. Help us to be sober-minded, really paying attention to the spirit of the age and to the spirit of darkness which looms in every corner. We ask that you would enlighten us, Lord, to the evil which is so prevalent. And do that through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there is a belief that there is real evil in this world. I've encountered people who don't believe that at all. Uh, Sometimes people will say, well, evil is just error, and we need to correct the error. And some reject the idea that God exists because this evil, which is so evident to most, they say there can't be a God if there is evil. It can't be an all-powerful God anyway, because if there were, he would take the evil away. And they theorize that since there is a creator God, everything that has been made has been made by the creator. The only problem is evil is not a thing. Now, if you've been here any length of time, you heard me talk about this, but I want to revisit it. Now, evil is not a thing. Evil is known as a loss or a privation. What that means is something akin to rust on an automobile or rot in a tree. That's what evil is. It's something that takes away degrades that which is good and it cannot exist apart from that which is good it is contingent and reliant upon that which is good in order to exist now evil is a corruption it destroys it infects the only remedy for instance for rust is to isolate it and then remove it and even if a small amount is left it will continue to spread just like a cancer a cancer is evil and you have to get rid of all of it otherwise there is a chance that it will spread the same is true with rot in a tree there is no remedy for rot in a tree you simply have to cut out that which is rotten you have to separate it from the tree And you have to burn it because the thing that causes the rot is in the tree that you remove that contains the rot. And you must destroy that thing. And we have a tendency to think that we are good and not evil. But the scripture says that there is no one who is good except for God. Mark chapter 10 verse 18. And not only are we not good, but I know scripture teaches that we are actually harmful. Not only are we not good, but we cause harm. 
just think of all the harm through your life just for a moment, even though you've been forgiven about it, all the evil that you have caused in your life. Have you stolen anything? Have you broken anything? Have you lied to anyone? Have you murmured or gossiped about anyone? All of those things. We have caused problems. We are evil in our fallen nature, in the old nature. But we do get this new nature. And we know also Romans chapter 7 verse 18 says, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. So inside we have these two natures that are contrary to one another. The bad things that we do are not the things in our spiritual nature we want to carry out. Paul talked about this in the book of Romans chapter 7 at the end. But God declares just like rot in a tree that that sinful nature must be destroyed. It cannot be corrected. It cannot be changed. It cannot be modified. He says it has to be destroyed. And that's why all of us die. It was never meant to be that way. Adam and Eve, if they took of the tree of life, they would have lived forever and we would have been their children and everything would have been wonderful. And he gave us the free choice. And in Adam, we all chose improperly. And you've heard the argument that, well, if I was Adam or if I was Eve, I wouldn't have chosen. Just remember, they were perfect. We are far from perfect. We would have chosen the wrong way. And God promised that there is a time in the future that he will destroy this sinful nature but preserve the saved soul and give that saved soul a new dwelling place, a new body to dwell in. When that happens to us, we will still recognize each other. We will be in our glorified bodies. We know that Philippians chapter 2 verse 15 says that we will shine like the stars in heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but how many times, has anybody been so stupid as me to look at the sun where you look up and you open your eyes and you see if you can see the sun? I've been that stupid in the past just yesterday. No, not yesterday, but in the past, you know, we've done those types of things, especially as kids. We do those. But God says, no, that, that body is going to be perfected and the old nature is going to be done away with. All the desires that we have that are evil, that are base, that are connected to vice, those desires will all go away. We won't have those anymore. We will only have the desire to do that which is good. And we get that desire because we ask for it. We ask Jesus to save us from the evil desire. He promises to do so, but not quite yet. Now, he gives us his spirit, and he gives us the new life in us. We were once dead in our sins, and he provides for us that new life, and we are to exist with both natures until he comes back and redeems us. Now, until that time, what is the, the remedy for us? Of course, for the believer, for the disciple, it's studying the word, it's praying, it's being in fellowship, it's doing those things that he asks us to do. He asks us to die and give our lives for others. So the things that the world seeks after um, and, and all the possessions that the world has, the people of the world, they dive into that. They see what they can collect and get together. Remember, Nobody is taking anything to the grave, but 
that's what the majority of the world does. They see what they can get to gratify their own desires. And Christ says, do not seek after the things the world seeks after. Do not love the world the way the world loves the world, the people of the world. We are to love God and seek after his will in this world, which means we die to ourselves just like he did in order to save us. If we do that, we will be completely fulfilled when we get to heaven. But also, what else can we do or what else has been done in the past to remedy the situation where we have the sinful nature and the spiritual nature existing both together in the same body? Well, strict isolation measures must be put in place in order to keep the sinful nature from infecting everyone and everything around us. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, in the Old Testament, they were given the law. And the law said, you cannot eat pork. You cannot have bacon. You cannot have ham. You are not even to play football, believe it or not, that is in the scripture, because you are not to touch the hide of the pig. And you have a pig skin. And what do they do most Sundays? During football season, they're grabbing that ball, they're playing with it, and they, they probably had bacon before they went onto the field, and people have bacon-wrapped little hot dogs, and we just dive right into the bacon. We become baconators is what we do. And God says, no, you're not supposed to eat the bacon. Oh, what about lobster? What about all those shrimp? We're not supposed to eat the lobster or eat the shrimp or any shellfish or any mussels or any clams. The only thing that you would be able to eat from the sea would be that which has scales on it you could not eat anything else that came from the sea or from any freshwater lake if you found some freshwater clams that type of thing you weren't supposed to eat any of that so rules and hedges and corridors were set up for the people of what they had to do and they became a slave to it They had to bow to it. They had to bring the sacrifices day after day. Tens of thousands of animals were sacrificed when Solomon dedicated the temple that he had built in Jerusalem. And before that, literally millions of animals had been sacrificed. And God set up this law that it might be followed to help lessen the possibility of sin. All the sexual immorality, if you look at the book of uh, Leviticus in chapter 19 and 20, it talks about in the King James looking upon somebody's nakedness. It actually translates into having sex with other people outside of marriage and other things and animals and things like that. It, it talks about that. It says we're supposed to lessen that. And some of the things are misinterpreted in the Old Testament because people don't want to go there because of all the restrictions. For instance, the Old Testament says do not get any tattoo whatsoever like the pagans do. And they also said, or the scripture also said that they were not supposed to cut the corners of their head. They misinterpreted that. They were just not supposed to take on the attire, the dress, or the habits of those who are pagans. And they used to cut their hair in a bowl shape, these who are pagans. And the Jews, now they have the curls because they think that that's the corner of the head. You have heard all this from me before, but these regulations that were set up were meant to reduce the amount of evil. That is also why we die 
at 70 or 80 years old. God is merciful that our sins don't just stack upon each other. Imagine if you lived 800 or 900 years. Methuselah was almost a thousand years old. How many sins can you stack up over a thousand years? And God has mercy on us and he says, no, I'm not going to let that continue. And that's why he reduced the age in which we die. And it went from hundreds of years down to a hundred and 20 down to 70 or 80 and that is the average age of course in our wickedness we decide we want to figure out how to overcome the degrading of the body we want people to live forever and there is science and technology and uh, biological endeavors that are seeking to transform that and change it around even today all you have to do is read some science books or or some articles which are out there, and they are well on the road to try to make the cell immortal. You know, cancer cells are immortal. They just keep on replicating. They do not die, and that's what they're looking at. They're looking at the cancer cell. Well, why does that one live and the regular cells do not? So they want to change this around. But these strict measures in order to keep from sinning or falling into sin, they were necessary in order to keep the sinful nature in check in order to preserve society. And so God called certain things wrong and he called certain things good and right. And he expected his chosen people to follow after that. Now, by way of an example, take a lion. Now, I've seen several little videos on lions. I think that they're majestic and tigers and uh, cheetahs and these creatures that are there. A lion, I saw this one video, and there was a hunter, and he was standing maybe from me to the door uh, back there. That's about 40 feet. And the hunter, he had his gun poised, ready to go. There was someone between the person filming and the hunter standing behind a tree, and they were very still. And the hunter was crouched down, pointing at something that you could not see. And all of a sudden, this lion, a huge lion, male, with the mane just outside, came with the most ferocious terror at the hunter. He was going directly for the hunter, and he was going to attack and kill the hunter. And the hunter killed the lion as it was approaching him. Now, I don't know the occasion for that. I don't know if it was a man-eater lion or if he was just a hunter. I don't know what was taking place. But... That lion was strong. Maybe you've seen the video of about 10 strong muscle-bound men that are pulling a rope. And on the other end of the rope, going through a hole and into a zoo enclosure is a lioness. And she has the other end of the rope. And the 10 men could not pull the rope away from the lion. It was a tug-of-war. That's how strong one lion is. Well, imagine if you didn't have bars around that lion. That means you would be in danger if you were in its vicinity. And so in order to keep the lion, the danger away, they put up bars or they put up enclosures in order to keep that lion or, in our case, the evil nature at bay. That's why God gave the law. The law was equivalent to maybe bars or an enclosure to keep that which is evil away. You've heard that the, the tongue, book of James talks about the tongue, how evil the tongue is. 
that with it we bless and curse and that ought not to be and it's just like a rudder on a huge mammoth ship that little rudder can turn the whole ship and you can do that with your little tongue and that's why we are encouraged to keep the lion of the tongue behind the gate of the teeth and do not speak anything which is evil or unwholesome God tells us that in his word but imagine if this lion was set free well that means our sinful nature if you compare it to the lion is around is around to just roam free is allowed to just do whatever it wants and God says no this is not good because it would end up being harmful to the individual who just opens up the bars of the gate and to everyone else they would be in danger remember I said that we are not only harmful to ourselves but scripture tells us we are harmful to everyone else and it is the same in society we have laws that keep us in check and the more laws we have the more of a lawbreaker you become now let me ask you since January of 2020 have you become more of a lawbreaker or have you become less of a lawbreaker are you following all the dictates that have come down from the national government the CDC and the state of California and the city of San Diego do you walk around with your mask everywhere that they tell you to do you drive around in your car with your mask on I recently saw an article yesterday that said you need to start wearing it in the shower I could not believe that in the shower why anyhow so obviously you have broken some laws the more laws that are passed the more of a lawbreaker you become just sitting in here and singing this morning if you sang now it's not a law but it is a dictate by some administrative official that says you cannot sing in church I'm sorry I'm going to obey God I am not going to obey the governing authority when it comes to that but society does this they set up guides to keep us from causing harm not only to ourselves but to others and when we see somebody else break a law what do you think oh it's disgusting I was driving up um, one of the streets in South El Cajon going up towards the Mount Helix area and some guy in a, a white BMW he comes zipping around me and just real fast and I go dude you're going to cause an accident just chill out a little bit and we're going to the same intersection and it's red he goes right through it and of course then you know if I was Thor or something I would have lightning strike his vehicle and talk to him and lecture him because of righteousness you know I stand for righteousness but then have I ever run a red light well not on purpose mostly you know this idea that everybody else is guilty no we are all guilty and society sets up these laws in order to keep sinful natures in check the only problem is those who pass the laws think we are better if we follow all the laws we become a good citizen and this is what the Judaizers thought in the New Testament times Remember, the Judaizers are the ones who wanted to follow the Old Testament law and have Jesus Christ. They thought that they would have more merit if they had more hedges and more rows, if they followed the specific days, the Sabbaths, the festivals, all of those things, and got circumcised as well. And if that were done, God would look with more favor on the individual. And God says, no, that is not the case. 
And in Galatians chapter 3 verse 21 says, For if the law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. Which means if you could follow the law and everything would be made right, it would have come through the law. But it did not come through the law. Now, the civil law in society puts restraints on us, and those who believe that we need to keep passing more and more laws in order to force us to do what is right, they are mistaken. They believe that if we just impose more restrictions, guidelines, regulations, things will get better for everyone. All that it does is make more law breakers. Every law that gets passed, we are going to end up at some time in our life, maybe not everyone all at once, but most of us are going to break the laws. And they make hundreds of laws every single year. Now, how do you get around that? This mentality that if you follow the law, you're going to be a better person and benefit society. No, it, if you follow the law, make more laws, it makes more sinners, it makes more lawbreakers. And this is the problem that Paul had. Now, it also says that this law, back in chapter 3, verse 24, it was put in charge to lead us to Christ. Now, let me ask you, do you moan that there are so many laws out there you go, you can't do anything without paying a tax or following a law. You know, you can't put an electrical receptacle in your house without getting a permit. You know, you can't change the windows on your home without getting a permit. You cannot build a wall over three feet tall without getting a permit. Now, you can have a fence, and that fence can be five to six feet tall, but you are not allowed to go above five or six feet tall without a permit. You cannot drive without a permit. You cannot go to school without certain permits. You are given permission to do everything that the society has to offer. And pretty soon, you will not be able to fly or buy without a permit. And pretty soon, that permit will be transferred onto your hand or onto your forehead. And as long as you are a good citizen in good standing, you will be permitted to do whatever they want you to. And Christ is not about these laws, these regulations, these things to follow. Now, not that we're supposed to be anti-law. We're supposed to be good citizens and submit to those who are above us, except where it violates Scripture. And that can be onerous, that can be difficult, that can be a burden to us, carrying those things around. And pretty soon, there become so many laws, we start to moan. We go, oh, this is so bad. If you don't think so, just go have a meeting with an IRS agent. And you can see you're going to walk away just, oh, this is so burdensome what they require everybody to do. And I'm sure every one of you who pay your taxes and you think you're doing it right, I'll bet there's something you're not doing right that you haven't read the IRS code, you don't have it memorized, and nobody ever should. I think that that would be an evil task for anyone who is out there. Not that we don't need to pay some taxes, but we do. And so this law, it was determined in chapter 3, God gave the law a description. And in the Greek, it's called a pedagogos. A pedagogos was a slave in the household, and the slave was responsible for disciplining young children before they became of age and were actually the proprietors of the house. They received their inheritance, and they became a full-blown adult. But a pedagogos was very strict. 
usually kept a switch or a paddle of some type, disciplined the child, and it was the slave who had the advantage over the heir. And it says that's what the law was like. The law came along and would whip people into subjection, would condemn them for their acts of disobedience. And the law was meant to drive us to Christ, where we go, oh, this is, this is just so heavy, this is so burdensome, I need to be released from this. How do I get out from under the law? And that's Christ. Christ is the one that gets us out from under the law. Now, how does that happen? Well, we believe in him. We become justified by faith. The penalty and the consequences of sin in the law are wiped away. And that's what Romans says in chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it abolished the law and its effects and consequences. It put it to the side. He wants us to be free. He wants us to be free to follow two commandments. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. That's what he wants you to follow. And all of those other regulations that were set up in the Old Testament, the feast days, the sin offerings, all of that, it was to be done away with. The purpose of the law was to drive us to Christ. Again, that's verse 24 in chapter 3 of the book of Galatians. And Paul continues here an argument that we are no longer under the law by using the illustration of coming of age. Now, for a Jew, coming of age means a ba mitzvah and a bar mitzvah. For boys, it was 13 years old, and for girls, it was 12 years old because girls matured more quickly than boys. And, you know, I, I saw this video. This young boy, he looked like he was probably 10 or 12 years old, was standing in front of a girl who looked like she was 12 or 13 years old. She was definitely taller than him. He was still immature. He hadn't grown up more. And he was doing a bunch of dance moves right in front of her, hopefully that she would notice him and his radical dance move and she would immediately fall in love with him and he was trying to impress her. And the girl was just like looking around, not paying attention to him whatsoever. The boy was still immature. He, He still hadn't come of age, but the girl... You could tell she was probably, she understood everything. She came of age and she recognized that this boy was being silly. But for the the Hebrew boys, when they got to age 13, they were considered a man. And they have a big celebration with that. And same thing for the girl. They would do that when she turned 12 years old. And most cultures, especially cultures in the past, whether the Greeks or the Romans or the Jews, they all had some type of ceremony of coming of age, that you are now mature. Uh, In Mexico, if you go down to Mexico... There's, and even up here, the Latin community, uh, the Mexicans, the Americans who are here, some Spanish uh, individuals, they practice what is known as a quinceanera. Now, uh, quince, that's 15, and yera refers to the feminine form of a year. They also have a quince años for boys. They are starting to implement that in several places. So at 15, they come of age. And for the girl, they have, it's a big shindig and all the relatives get together and all the relatives pitch in and the girl, she gets like a wedding dress and she puts that on and there's a mass before and afterwards she's kind of presented. Now here, uh, I knew some girls growing up, they would go to debutante balls. 
And the debutante balls, they would get the girls like in white dresses and they would present them all and the young eligible bachelors, they would stick them in the same room and they would have dances and they would have food and all kinds of things like that. And those who are wealthy, they sometimes participate in those debutante balls. There's a coming of age. But for the most of uh, the United States, I think that there is a coming of age ceremony for all of us. Now, what is that exactly? I think the time that the, the adult community considers you to be an adult is when you get a driver's license because you get freedom at that point. You're able to go and do what you would like. For the most part, you are taking your life into your own hands and the life of everyone else, and so you're expected to act responsible. If there's a rite of passage universally for those in the United States, I would say that that is it. But with this idea of coming of age, and Paul will talk about Abraham, how we were born like by a promise, just like the difference between Ishmael and Isaac, the two of them. Now, what we want to do is we want to pick up in Galatians chapter 4 what is going on here. He says, what I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave. So I talked to you about the pedagogos, the teacher, the slave, the disciplinarian that is in the household there. He is instructed to do so by the master of the house to raise the children. And that's what he does. But they are treated as a slave. They are no better. They are told what to do. And actually a slave is over them. Although he owns the whole estate, he will inherit everything. He is subject to the guardians and trustees. Now, a guardian is not a pedagogos. A guardian is somebody who has the domestic household and keeps it in order. And then there is the trustee. The trustee is the one who maintains the house or the facilities or the real estate and also the finances in the household. So somebody that had wealth had guardians, trustees, and a pedagogos. All three of those were there. It says these guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. And he's probably talking about Jews here, but it could also apply to those who are pagans. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Where we come to maturity, where we get to receive the inheritance, we are recognized as heirs. That doesn't happen until we receive Christ. If we don't receive Christ, we are still under the law. We are still under slavery, so to speak. We are still bound both religiously and civilly to the laws which bind us. But the law goes away when we turn to Christ. Now, again, I need to reiterate, it doesn't mean we become lawless. The law just has no hold on us to condemn us. So this coming of age, whether it's the bar mitzvah or the quinceanera or getting the driver's license, there is a time that is recognized by all of society where a child, no matter what they may inherit, they are a slave. And the only time that that changes is at the will of the father in the household. The only time our station changes from being a slave to being a believer in Christ is according to the will of the Father and us receiving Jesus Christ. He was sent and that's how we become 
removed from the burden of the law. Now, verse 6 says, Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Now, I think most of you know this is an endearing term. If you said, Daddy, that's what Abba means. That means you're in a very close relationship with God the Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. So Paul is making the case that we are no longer under the law. We are a son by the sake of a promise, Isaac and Ishmael, which we'll get to. And the promise was given to Isaac. And so Isaac was born by a promise when it was impossible for it to happen, just like our salvation. Our salvation is impossible for it to happen apart from Christ. But God gave Abraham the promise, you will have a son, and through him, everything will be reckoned. All the generations will be reckoned through him, and through him, the Messiah will come. And so that is how Paul is making the case here. And he's doing this because the Judaizers have infiltrated the Galatian church and they have convinced them that they need to follow the law. And when a son comes to full age, there are certain characteristics, certain things that are expected of him. Now, as a young child, a young child is very, very needy. Uh, The child needs to be bathed, fed, clothed, burped, instructed, trained as far as language is concerned, trained as far as what is he supposed to do or he is supposed to do inside the family. But they are very needy and they are easily offended. Have you noticed that? Like two-year-olds, you put two-year-olds in the same room together with a bunch of toys. Mine. It's kind of like those uh, seagulls in Finding Nemo. Mine? mind that that's what the kids do they will fight over what is there and they are easily offended they get their feelings hurt and they will drop a relationship instantly a little child i mean there's some adults that do that they get offended and that's it i'm not talking to you anymore i am done d-u-n-a done and they they walk away and they're not going to have anything to do with you whatsoever because of the immaturity which is there and they will quit when dissatisfied uh, as an employer previously, I would have people just quit. It's like, why are you quitting? Because I want to. Okay, just quit then. Because they're not satisfied. They're not getting what they want. Uh, they cry a lot, little kids. Have you noticed that? If they're not getting what they want, they cry a lot. They need a lot of boundaries. You have to tell them, clean your room, do your homework, don't come home late. Pick up your toys, do your chores, feed the dog, get off the phone, stop playing video games, stop being silly. All of these things you have to tell a child as they continue to grow. And once they get a little older, if they're doing all those things, say they're 19 years old and you're saying, don't come home late, pick up your toys, do your chores, feed the dog, get off the phone, stop playing video games. You would be pulling your hair out. Not that I've had to do that for that reason. But this idea that he would just be frustrated beyond belief that you have to instruct this older child. And so when somebody becomes fully mature, the Judaizers believed, well, they become fully mature when they follow the law through every letter. They do not fall short of it. That's what makes a mature believer in Christ, following the law, believing in him and following the law. And that's not what makes somebody mature. That's what makes somebody 
a slave. Verse 8 says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now you know God, or rather are known by God. How is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. What he's referring to here are specific religious festivals like in Colossians chapter 2 verse 16. It says, therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. And so this idea that you follow certain dictates from the Old Testament law and it's beneficial for you and it's good for you and, and it requires your full attention and that's what makes you mature, that's not the case at all. And if somebody comes to you and says, oh, you worship on Sunday, not on Saturday, what's wrong with you? Don't you know that it's the Sabbath day of rest? Our Seventh-day Adventist friends that you may have, uh, I think I've mentioned before, I now consider them a cult, they, they would say that, no, and you probably need to be a vegan because, after all, this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Let me go get another cheeseburger after that. And, you know, some people will just condemn you for what you do, but on the other hand, they will not look at their own things that are deserving of condemnation. He goes on in verse 12, says, I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel or as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What happened to all your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your own eyes or your eyes and given them to me. So they're looking at Paul and they're probably upset that he has this problem or were upset that he has this problem. But have you noticed also that there is no joy and when you're under the law, there is no joy. The more regulation you have, the more things you're required to do, the less joy you're going to have on the inside. Belonging to Christ, we are free. We are free to love God and love our neighbor. And that's it. That's the consummation of the whole law of the Old Testament. And that is so freeing. We don't have to observe a particular day. You know, they have said that we may be able to get together in small numbers in the 4th of July. Small numbers. They want to restrict your freedom to do that again. Now, COVID is real. People die from it. I get it. The flu is real. People die from it. I get it. Our numbers inflated. Do you know there were like no flu cases this year? What's because what? The measure, they tell us it's the measures we've been taking. Uh, come on, 400,000 flu cases last year and none this year? I don't think so. I think I saw one statistic, maybe 165. It just doesn't work that way. Anyhow, I digress. It's this idea that there is no joy when you have all these regulations that you have to follow. You have been freed from that. And Paul goes on to say, have I now become, verse 16, your enemy by telling you the truth? The truth that you don't have to follow this law. Apparently there was a problem in the relationship between Paul and the Galatians because now he's telling them to forsake the law. 
And now it's like, we don't want to listen to him. And they're starting to reject him. Verse 17 says, those people are zealous to win you over. Who? It's the Judaizers. But for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us. He's referring to his fellow companions. So that you may be zealous for them. It is fine to be zealous provided the purpose is good and to be so always and not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom am I again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you? How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but the son by the free woman was born as a result of a promise. And I'll probably have to curtail it right here, but just give you some insight with Ishmael and Isaac, we know that Ishmael was born in Genesis chapter 16. Now, if you remember, his wife Sarah was barren. She was not able to conceive. Now, she did end up having a child at age 90. Wouldn't you rejoice if you were 90 and you were pregnant? You would say, hallelujah. Or if you were a man that was 100 years old and you're going to have a son and you get to raise him all over again, oh, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Some people at this age consider that a curse. That's why they have senior citizen communities. You go up to Rancho Bernardo, 55 plus. No kids, that's it. That's all that's living in there. Those little rugrats, you know, you go and visit them and you can go home and be away from them. When you're young, it's difficult, but there's a tremendous amount of joy in little kids as long as you can give them back when you get to a certain age. And when they're yours, that's, that's just wonderful. Well, Ishmael was born because Sarah was barren, and she says, Oy vey, okay, I can't give you kids, so here's my handmaiden. Take, take her and make her pregnant. And, of course, Abraham, me? You, you want me? Okay, I'll listen to my wife. And he goes into the woman, the handmaiden, and she gets pregnant. And Ishmael was born. And of course, we know we have some of the Arab communities that came from Ishmael. And he was always tormenting Isaac when Isaac was born later. But he was born in the normal way. And God had to wait until Abraham and Sarah were old enough to where they couldn't conceive and God promised that that would happen. We are like the children who represent Isaac or Isaac the child. We are like him. We are not like Ishmael that was born in the natural way. Now all of us are born in the natural way. But John chapter 3 says you have to be born again in order to live in heaven with God forever. You cannot get by that. Remember Nicodemus didn't understand that. He goes... What are you talking about? I have to be born again? And he says, how do I get back into my mother's womb to be born? This is ridiculous. He didn't understand this. And Jesus was just like, really? You're a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? We have to be born, and really the phrase would be better translated, born from above. God has to give us life because we are still dead in our sins. When he gives us that life, that's where it goes back to the two natures. You will then have the two natures. If you don't have the spiritual nature, what rules in your life? The flesh. The flesh will rule and dominate, and that person who is in the flesh has no power to overcome it. They are sold to sin. 
They're harmful to themselves and everyone else around them. That's why Jesus said you have to be born again or born from above. Once that happens, we are transformed on the inside, although the outside doesn't reflect it. Eventually it will when we have our new bodies and the glory of God, which is on the inside, the spiritual life, will be reflected for all to see. But now, what does everybody see? The sinful nature. And it's not until you get to know the person that you see the spiritual nature on the inside. And that's a transformation that takes place over time. How many children are perfect out of the womb? None. I've never seen a child. None of my children came out of the womb and said, Blessed, O woman, and the fruit of thy womb. None of the children have done anything like that. They haven't uh, offered prayers right out of the womb. They had to be trained. It was a process that they went through. And we will be in that process until we meet Jesus Christ. The only thing that we're supposed to remember is if we belong to Christ, do not become like that child who is a slave back under the law back under sin. Christ died to set us free. Now there are people that will reject that and say, well, I don't believe in your God. They are still under the curse. They are still under the law. They are still under condemnation, but they can be freed from that. And it's a spiritual matter and children, let alone earthly things, they don't understand. They don't understand the spiritual things. And somebody who gets saved, who accepts Christ, They won't understand everything when they get saved. They understand that they're simply going to heaven. That's it. As far as all the theology that's in the scripture, you're not going to understand Calvinism and Arminianism and Soteriology. You're not going to understand any of that. But that will come with time, and that's why we are called to be mature. We are called to reject the law, and we are called to live like Isaac, the son of Abraham, a child that has been alive by a promise that was given by God. This is my charge to you. Anything that would come along that would seek to enslave you again, don't allow it. You have freedom in Christ to walk in him, but do not use your freedom as a license to sin. That is the encouragement from the Apostle Paul as well. And that's the freedom and the power he has given to us to love God with all our heart, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves and not be condemned by those who would come along even in the Christian church that says, you're not doing enough, you're not following enough regulation, you need to be more circumspect and put up more hedges and rows in your life. May it not be so. Let's pray. Father, I I thank you for the Apostle Paul helping us to understand that we are no longer slaves under the law, the condemnation of sin and death, but we have moved from death to life. Father, there is nothing that we can do to attain it on our own, but we, we hope, Lord, we pray, we trust that you will enable us to communicate this message to others that anyone that we know that is under a yoke of bondage, whether unsaved or a believer that feels they must follow the law, I pray that we could be a light to them and we could do so with gentleness and respect. And again, with your help, we will do this according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen.